That's part of the consecration offering. Now, these four sacrifices speak to us of doing the whole will of God. Now, if you do each one of the four in detail, we'll be here for a week. See? We don't need to do that. Because these four combined speak about doing the whole will of God. And so I'm going to take parts of each one of these. This is not complete study. This is just an overview. I'll take parts of each one of these sacrifices. The sacrifice, the offering, the whole burnt offering, the sacrifice for sin. We're going to combine them into one sacrifice because they speak of one New Testament sacrifice doing the whole will of God. Everybody with me? There? Okay. Not teaching some strange thing. We're just combining these sacrifices so we can do it in a few minutes here, hopefully. <clears throat> okay. They brought the offering. We're going to call it the consecration offering. They brought it here to that place. <clears throat> and it was the bull. The bull of the consecration offering. It was a big sacrifice. And all the priests gathered around and laid their hands on that bull. Identifying their life with it. We are consecrating ourselves, but this thing is giving its life as a picture for a generation yet to come of what consecration is. This is a picture. Now, when we say we're bringing the consecration offering, we're not talking about a bull, right? Who are we talking about? We're talking about us. All right, they brought this bull up to here. And then they killed it. All right, that ends all your plans. That ends your future, doesn't it? It ends, it ends everything. It brings to a conclusion all these other things. You're dead to your own plans. You're dead to your own ideas. Now, you're, giving, you're putting your life in God's hands so that God can reveal your will, his will to you, and then lead you into that will. It's not a confusion once you make the consecration offering. Now, once they killed it, it fell down like that. Then they took the machera. It was a, a strong knife with two edges. It was very, very strong. And with this machera, they could set it into the joints here. And they could cut the tendons both ways like that. And they could separate the joints and even the marrow with this machera. Not a sword, machera. It's a skinning knife like that. It's the nice knife the priests use. And once, they, once they, they killed this bull, they cut his head off. And they put it on the fire and it began to burn. Now, a head doesn't burn very quick. You know, it's not like gasoline where you just, you know, it's gone. It takes a long time to burn a head. <laughs> and they had, they had big tongs like this. They grabbed the head and they turned it over. Then they burned on that side and then they'd roll it back. And they burned on that side and they keep rolling it until the whole thing got burned up. Now, in the head is all your opinions. 
All your arguments with God. All your debating with God. In your head are your ears and your eyes and your nose and your mouth. God says, if you're going to serve me in the holy place, I want consecrated ears. I want consecrated eyes. I want a consecrated discernment. I want a consecrated mouth and tongue. I want your mind renewed to give to me through the renewing of the mind. So, if we have consecrated eyes, there are certain things you can't look at anymore. If you have consecrated ears, there's things you can't hear anymore. If you have a consecrated tongue, there are things you can't say anymore. Right? God is even concerned about the thoughts and the intentions of the heart, isn't he? Now, once the head was on the, the fire and burning up, then they took the material and they cut it down through and pulled the hide off. Now, the hide speaks about all our distinctions. Because if it was a black cow or a red cow or a white cow or a spotted cow, once they took the hide off, they laid it aside. And then the cow was just meat, wasn't it? You couldn't tell what color it was. It was all the same, all the same color. Now, in Colossians, we see some distinctions. In Colossians 3, he says this. And put on the new self, in verse 10, who is being renewed to a true knowledge, according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian and Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. So in this renewal, this restructuring that God does, there cannot be distinctions in the church. So the first distinction is a racial distinction. It's between Greek and Jew. The next distinction is a religious distinction. It's between the circumcised and the uncircumcised. The next distinction is a cultural distinction. It's between the barbarian and the Scythian. Now, the Scythian were very cultured people. You know, I imagine they drank their tea with their little finger out. Very cultured people. The barbarians just grabbed it and... (laughs) So, there, there can't be a distinction between those things. A friend of mine was pastoring a church in, El Sal- in, uh, in uh, Houston when all that group came from El Salvador. And they just come over the mountains, you know, they just walked out. And they weren't very cultured people. But he was ministering in a whole church of people who thought they was of the highest culture. And so when the El Salvadorians come in, they told the pastor, either they leave or we leave. Because there was this distinction between the Scythians and the barbarians. See? But God said, if you're going to do my will, there cannot be any of these distinctions. Then there was a distinction between the slave and the free man. The slave had nothing. The free man could have everything. But in the things of God, that cannot be a distinction. See? See, in some places they take economic surveys to see if you can start a church there. If there's not enough people with money, how are you going to start a church? 
So you can't go into these areas where people don't have anything and start a church. See? They make economic surveys first to see if you're able to. But God says that's not a distinction. Whether, whether they have nothing or they have a lot is not a distinction. Then in Galatians, you, you find your sexual distinction. In Christ, there's neither male nor female. So all these distinctions have to be laid aside if you're going to do the will of God. Then once they, they had the, the sacrifice dead to their own plans and their own ambitions, their own goals, and they had the head removed and on the fire and all their opinions and debating with our God's so they can have consecrated eyes so they can see into what God's doing. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. I only speak as I hear. He had consecrated eyes, consecrated ears. He only could speak what he heard. See, his mouth was consecrated. So, once we have that, and then all these outward distinctions are gone, and we don't have any cultural distinctions, racial distinctions, religious distinctions, or economic distinctions. Now, we can go out and serve God, right? Not yet. Not yet. See? This is a whole burnt offering. The consecration offering is a whole burnt offering. So then, they came to the Machera, and they, they pried in here, and they cut and pulled and cut and pulled until they separated the, the front legs. This speaks about all our doing for God. All the things we do that God never told us to do. Just a good idea. You know, we had a good idea. But God says, if you're going to serve me, you have to have consecrated hands to wait on me, to hear instruction and then do. Once they put, took the, the front legs off, they put them on the fire and consumed them. Then they went to the back legs and they cut here. This speaks about our whole walk with God. Not only where we walk, but how we walk. Not just how we walk, but where we walk. So in order to have consecrated legs, you have to walk where God says to walk and how God says to walk, right? You can't have consecrated legs in Detroit if God tells you to walk in Miami, right? That's right. No, you can't do it. You can't have consecrated legs in Miami unless you walk upright. Unless you walk the way God says to walk, see? You have to walk where God says to walk and how God says to walk if you're going to have consecrated legs. Now we think, now, surely, we're ready to serve God, right? Surely, God can reveal his will to us, and now we can, we can go off and serve God. Not yet. See, Man has his primary problem in here. It's out of the heart that the mouth speaks. It's out of the heart that comes fornications and adulteries and, and blasphemies and thieving and, and all that stuff. All comes up out of here. And all these things are in us. None of us have escaped those things. We were born with those things. So then they brought the machera and they cut it from here, clear down through here, and they pried the carcass open. Then they got in there and they pulled the entrails out. What happened was that when they cut the carcass and pulled it out like that, the light 
went into the darkness, didn't it? And all the darkness was exposed by the light. Then they dug these entrails out, and they separated all the fat, and they immediately put that on the fire, because God said, all the fat belongs to me. The fat speaks about all your leisure time, all the time that you just have devoted to yourself. This is my time. Mm -hmm. See, now they're preaching that if you're a pastor, you need to dedicate one night to this, one night to that, one night to that, right? One, one day and one night dedicated to your wife. Take the phone off the hook. Don't answer the phone. Don't, don't knock. Don't go to the door. This is your day, right? Everybody knows that. Uh-huh. One day for the children. You know, everybody has to have their own time. I believe in that. I believe in that. Except God says all the fat belongs to me. But God has ordained Sabbath. God will give you rest. But not on the day you choose. (laughs) Everybody knows that, right? Everybody. Every time that you decide, I'm going to have a day of rest, does it ever turn out that way? Never. Never turns out that way. But God does give rest. Uh Uh-huh. And when God's in control, he will see to it you have rest. Amen. So, he breaks this open and he exposes all these entrails. All where all the garbage and everything is down in there. Now they do a funny thing. Silly thing. They take all these entrails out and they put it in a bucket of water and wash it. They wash these entrails. In a bucket of water. Once they're washed, they put it on the fire and burn it up. Doesn't make any sense, does it? <laughs> but there's an inner cleansing, an inner washing that God wants to do in our life. Now, when the priests had consecrated themselves and had entered into here, every time they came from here to the altar, they had to stop and washed their hands and their feet. Every time they went from the altar to the holy place, they had to stop and wash their hands and their feet. Both directions they had to wash. <clears throat> In Ephesians 5, 26, it says, And Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her through the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. So there's a washing that God does, but he does it according to the word of God. Now, when all these things are exposed in here, there's certain ways to handle it. If you get up in front of the church and make confession, it, that's not the right way, is it? For these things down here. Because it scandalizes the church. But see, what God says is, expose it to the light. Let the light of God come. Wash it according to the word of God. Put it on the fire and burn it up. That stops all the gossip, doesn't it? That <laughs> stops all the gossip about it. God has certain ways to handle these things. Now we think, surely now we're, well, we're ready to do the will of God. <clears throat> We're dead to our own plans. Our head 
is consecrated, put on the fire. Our, our thoughts, our intentions, arguments, all that's gone. Our distinctions are gone. Now we can go any place to any place, to any race or any, any economic uh, group, any religious group. If God calls us, we can go there without problems, without distinctions. Then all our, cons- all our doing is consecrated to God. We're just doing what God tells us. Our legs are consecrated. So we're just walking in the ways of God and walking where God says to walk. The Bible says we should walk upright, circumspectly. There's ways you, you can, you, I'm just giving an outline. You can fill in, fill in, fill in. Details. Then, we've been opened up to the light. God has exposed all these hidden things that nobody knows about but us and God. And a lot of them we don't know about. Because they're hidden in there. No, their heart is deceitfully wicked. It's full of all kinds of corruption and no man can know it. But when it's exposed to the light of God, God opens that all up to his light. And that light destroys that darkness. Put it on the fire. Now, surely, we're ready to serve God. No, this is a whole burnt offering. Then they took the machera and they started to cut down the backbone. And they, they took the two halves of the thing. They put them on the altar and stoked up the fire until the whole thing was burned. Now, if you see the sacrifice, what does it look like? A few ashes. Psalms say they'll give you beauty for that, right? They'll give you beauty for the ashes. <laughs> uh-huh. But, now if we looked at that sacrifice, what would we see? Transparency, right? It's just transparent now. All the opaqueness is gone. And God has received it as a sacrifice well-pleasing in his eyes. So we wonder, how does the new Jerusalem get transparent? How is it that it's crystal clear jasper? How is it it's transparent gold like clear glass? How does the new Jerusalem come to this transparency? It has to come through the consecration offering. Now, once the consecration offering was made, then they had that veil to go through. Now, a popular doctrine in the church is, oh, praise God, the veil's been rent, we just bust right into the presence of God, right? Through the blood of Jesus, we bust. Okay, that veil in there has been rent. What about this veil? Was that in torn? No, where you find that one was torn. <laughs> and if this is Jesus the way, that is Jesus the truth. So when God brings us up to that veil, he begins to show us truth. That word, truth, is an active word. Truth, the way we perceive it, is passive. And we perceive truth as not a lie. But this word truth is reality. Or we could say experiential truth. It's the reality of what is true, experientially. So
So God brings us to that veil of truth. And there he reveals the truth, the absolute truth, which is Christ. Amen. He is the truth. And when you see him, you see yourself. Don't you? And you'll be like Isaiah. I saw the Lord high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. Myriads of angels. and He said, woe is me. I'm undone. Because I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell amongst the people of unclean lips. Then the angel took a coal off the altar. Which altar? This one in here. Touched his lips and said, who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Now, Isaiah had been prophesying accurately for five chapters. He had been saying, thus saith the Lord, and that's what God said. So he, he was a prophet of God. But when he saw the Lord, he saw he was a man of unclean lips. See? So the Bible says, beholding him, we are being changed. We're being transformed from glory unto glory by the Spirit. So there has to come a revelation of Christ. There has to come a revelation of who he is. We have to come to reality of the Christian life. It's not enough for us to know the doctrines. See, some of the people who are most clear about their doctrines are the biggest hypocrites. They're all play acting because they got all their doctrines in order. They've lined this doctrine with that doctrine, this doctrine, that doctrine. They can tell you every doctrine. They got it right in order and prove everything with a verse. That's good. But there's no life. See? So the doctrines without that life of God is not reality. And it leads to hypocrisy. The Pharisees had their doctrines right. They had them all in order. They knew everything. But they didn't have any life. And Jesus said they wouldn't come to him that they might get life. <clears throat> so God has to bring us now from all these things to the reality of Christ. The reason is, in here, there can't be hypocrisy. In there, God is dealing in gold, pure gold. See, the lampstand was pure gold, no wood. Pure gold. The table of showbread was wood overlaid with gold. The altar of incense was wood overlaid with gold. The lampstand was pure gold. Each one of these things speak to us something about God's eternal purpose and the unfolding of those things. So God has to bring us into the reality of life, in the reality of truth, in the reality of who Jesus is, and in the reality of who we are. Because it's so easy to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, isn't it? And everybody does it until they get a revelation of Jesus. Amen. When they get a revelation of Jesus, all they can say is, woe is me. 
I'm finished. And so God brings us to that veil of truth and shows us ourselves. If you read in the church history and the real men of God like Dale Moody and Spurgeon and those guys, they all come to a place where they said, I am not fit to preach the word of God. I'm not fit to put the word of God in my mouth because I am the worst of sinners. God began to show them Jesus. See? Once you get that revelation of Jesus, who he is, and who, what you look like in comparison to what he looks like, then you begin to appreciate the grace and the mercy of God. How can I go on? How, how can I press into God where I'm in this condition? And many people quit at that place. See, they got, they got a little step this far to take. Just a little step. And they can step through that veil. But they get so discouraged when they see who they are. Because they had such a high opinion of themselves when they got to there. Then when they see him, when they see truth, reality... They're finished. And if somebody is not there to encourage them and say, brother, just take one more step. Just one more step. That's all you need. One more step. Just go through. Go through the veil. And in there, everything looks different. Because out here, this is all lit with the sun, moon, and stars. All natural light out here. In here, the light of the lampstand. Only light in there. It's just a lampstand. In here, the glory of God did light it. And the light is the Lamb. So God has prepared a way for us. And when we see Jesus the way, He is all the things in the way. He is the altar, He is the sacrifice, He is the blood, He's everything. He's the 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 one who removes the garments from us. He's the, he's the water of God that washes us, the worship water of the word, the Logos. All Jesus. He washes and washes. He is the one who gives us the garments of righteousness and the garments of holiness and the garments of praise and worship and, and those things. It's the Holy Spirit who anoints all those things. But Jesus is those things. He's those garments upon us. He's the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. John said, there's one coming after me who's preferred before me whose shoe latches I'm not worthy to lose. He himself will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire, who's winning the fork in his hands. And he will gather his wheat into the barns, but the chaff he'll burn up with unquenchable fire. So he is that baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And he's the one who makes the consecration offering experiential in our lives. He's the one who has come to demonstrate for us the way. Now what you'll discover is that when you make the consecration offering, that's on your side. You say, Lord, I give my body to do the whole will of God. Whatever that costs, whatever it takes me, I, I acknowledge that I'm a purchased possession, that I no longer belong to myself. I've been bought with a price. Even the precious blood of Jesus. 
If I live, therefore, or if I die, I give myself to you. Whether I live or die, I'm yours. When you come to that place and you make the consecration, then you find the consecration is required. It doesn't happen that way. It doesn't happen that quick. It's required. Now let's take it from Jesus. Jesus came to the labor and was baptized. He received the Holy Spirit at Jordan. The Spirit drove him into the wilderness where he was tested for 40 days and 40 nights. In the wilderness, he made the consecration offering just to do the whole will of God. He said, a body that hath prepared for me to do thy will, O God. Then, three and a half years later, <laughs> right? He lived the consecrated life, but the consecration was required of him at Gethsemane. And that's where he reconfirmed his consecration. Not my will, but thine be done. Then what happened? Then the consecration was fulfilled at Calvary. So consecration has, has your side of it, where you make the consecration. Then there's a working out of it until you come to a place where you reconfirm, yes, Lord, I no longer live. It's you who live in me. Whether I live, therefore, or whether I die, I'm yours. And then God brings you through consecration, or he makes that experiential in your life. That may be years down the road. But somewhere, when you make the consecration offering, if you confirm it and stand in it, you will be that consecration offering. See? See, everybody knows John uh, 3.16, right? How many of you know 1 John 3.16? <laughs> we know love by this. He laid down his life for us. Therefore, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's, that's, the, that's not the whole fulfillment, but that's how it works. He laid down his life for us, therefore we lay down our life for the brethren. And when we come to that place, we come to the next veil. It was the way, the truth, and the life. And that life, when the veil was torn, was when Jesus was crucified. That's when he laid down his life. And when we come to that veil, we're going to be required to lay down our life for the brother. But, he went being filled with the Spirit, right? And he came back from the consecration in the power of the Spirit. So when you think about these things, you say, I can't do that. I mean, I got a wife and a family. I got to support them. I've got to do this. I got to. And pretty soon, all these things come to your head, don't they? Yeah, well, that's a nice doctrine, but how does that work out for me? I mean, it may work out for a single man, but not for me. See? What's that? That's this thing working. <laughs> See? See? Do you, do you <laughs> 
You, you understand why God says this thing's got to go on the fire. Otherwise, you'll come up with arguments and debates and opinions, and they didn't do that, and they're good Christians. You know, I've studied church history, and they didn't do that. And they're in the history books. They didn't do that. They're in the history books. So why should I do that? See? And this, this will talk you out of going on with God. Now, when you see the demands of the kingdom of God, which is pictured in here, when you see those demands of the kingdom, you'll come to the understanding that natural man cannot fulfill the demands of the kingdom. They cannot do it. Give to all who ask. Don't withhold from any who wants to borrow from you. Somebody slaps you on this cheek, turn that one also. If they take your, your coat, give them your cloak also. You know, go through those demands. They're ridiculous. Those are ridiculous demands. When you look at it from the flesh, from the viewpoint of man, you say, nobody can do that. And it's true. Nobody can do it. But the good news of the kingdom of God is this. If God says, this is what you're to do, the good news is, he is willing and able to give you everything that it takes to do that. The bad news is, when you see it in the flesh. See? When you see it as a requirement of natural man. That's not good news. All those things are bad news. Matthew 7, 5, 6, and 7 is the worst news you could get as a natural man. <laughs> but the good news is that if God demands it, he has the provision and the power and the anointing to fulfill it. See? That's the good news. That's the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of salvation has to do with repentance and salvation through the blood or forgiveness of sin through the blood. Some people add the garment. Some people add the, the labor. The Pentecostal people uh, have, and the charismatic people, have restored the garments of praise and worship. High praises and high worship. They've restored that. And much of the anointing the charismatic movement has, has restored But now, what are we going to do? I love to praise and worship. I like to feel the presence of God when it comes and all that. But we've already done that. We haven't done it in the measure that it's available to do. We haven't touched the measure of the praise and worship of heaven yet. Isn't that a little bit far-fetched that the praise and the worship of heaven to come here? No. He said, pray this way. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done where? On earth. As is being done in heaven. So it's not too far out to say that the, the worship and the praise of heaven can come here. We haven't experienced that yet. I mean, I've, I've felt a little bit when the angels come. And the worship just goes way, way beyond what we're able to, to do. But God has restored that level. Now, in past church history, the ones who restored repentance from dead works 
And then the ones who restored faith toward God, they didn't, they didn't lay aside repentance. They took repentance and faith and the blood and uh, justification. Then the ones who restored the removing of the garments, they didn't do away with repentance and, and the altar. They just added to it. Then the Anabaptists, when they came with the doctrine of baptisms, they kept repentance, they kept faith, they kept the removing of the old life. They, took, they kept then and added water baptism. Then when the restoration of the Word of God came, they didn't do away with any of these things. They took them and added to them. And then when the Pentecostal movement came, they didn't do away with repentance. They didn't do away with faith toward God or the blood or the forgiveness of sin or the, the old garments or the, the labor. They kept all those doctrines. They, they kept the, the new garments that they had been given. A few garments. They didn't have them all. They had only a couple. Then they, they restored the anointing, but they kept all these other foundations. So the, when the charismatic movement comes, they put on more garments. And the garments of worship and praise were more intensified. They didn't do away with the old doctrines. So every time that God set a new doctrine, what he established added to what he had restored before that. See? So when the consecration offering is made clear to the church. There's not anybody here so foolish to think that all the church is going to do that, right? No. All the church is not going to do that. But there will be a few. There will be a few who give themselves wholly to God to do the whole will of God, whatever it costs, wherever it takes you. See, what you find is there's announcements of things along the way. In the 1700s, when, when God started the missionary movement to China, those people went to China to die. They didn't go there to, to live in a big house. They went there to die. And those were prophetic. They were, they were announcements of what was going to come. And now we've come to it. We've come to the place where the, the church is standing in the Valley of Decision. They've been waiting for 12 years for the next restoration. But... If you, once you see what's in here, you'll see why the church cannot fulfill that until it comes consecrated. So God has brought us to this place. Now, it's up to everyone individually to give themselves to God. Everybody who wants to go on with God. That's an individual thing. But, when a bunch of individuals, a group of individuals, <clears throat> or what we call the church, the corporate church as individuals, when they consecrate themselves and God gets some gold and God begins to hammer it into shape, this is going to become illuminated in here. And then the showbread is going to reveal the next part. And the next part is going to be Fulfilled at the altar of incense. See? So it's up to everybody. This is not a corporate thing that we do. This is an individual thing that you do 
in the private of your own home, in your own prayer closet, you decide, am I going to give myself wholly to God and do the whole will of God? Or am I going to come back here and say, well, thank God, my sins are forgiven, I'm saved, die tonight, go to heaven. It's all true. Yeah. So you can wander around here, and in eternity you can stand right beside the thief on the cross. But Jesus said, to him that overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, even as I overcame and sat down with my Father on his throne. Amen. Amen.